You're listening to Reporters and the Reported, a podcast from Cardiff University's School of Journalism, Media and Culture. In each episode, brought to you by the MA Broadcast Journalism students of 2021, we'll bring you insights and interviews with key people in the news industry. We'll examine the challenges, opportunities and threats facing journalism and get tips about the best ways to follow a career in the media. This week, me, Ross Rondell and Reese Nelson will be talking to Professor Richard Sambrook. Richard is the Deputy Head of School and Director of the Centre of Journalism at Cardiff School of Journalism, Media and Culture. Previously, Richard was Director of Global News at the BBC and in recent months was appointed by the BBC to review how they maintain impartiality on social media. Richard, thank you very much for joining us. Pleasure. Nice to see you. So, um, to kick off with then, impartiality on social media. What exactly does it mean and what, what is the point? Well, the point, it only really matters for um, uh, people who work for organisations that are regulated to be impartial or, of course, people who may choose to be, I suppose, independently. But if you work for a British broadcaster, <clears throat> by law, you have to try to be impartial in, across any platform. Uh, your journalists have to be seen to be impartial. And therefore, as social media platforms become more important, you know, your journalists will become under more scrutiny on social, what they say on social media platforms. And that needs to conform to the same kinds of editorial standards as they would use on radio or TV. So that means not being led by opinion, but by being led by evidence and by facts and by you know, being seen to be fair to all sides of, a, of an argument. And I think it's difficult on social media because by and large, social media platforms are all about opinion and they're all about stridency and they're all about impact uh, and they're not about considered, measured, you know, uh, uh, carefully modulated discussion. So um, they can become quite difficult places in which to operate on an impartial basis. Just to move specifically to the BBC, I wanted to look at discussing its TV and radio output. BBC TV and radio news has been the most trusted source of news during the, the COVID-19 pandemic. What do you think the organisation can learn from these traditional news forms for its conduct on social media? Well, the lesson I would take from it is that particularly at moments of crisis, there is a huge public appetite for news they can trust. And I think that's why they come back to the broadcasters, which at some level the public recognise are regulated and, you know, do have you know, codes of conduct and do have editorial guidelines they abide by and therefore by and large produce information that can be trusted. And I think actually in, in an incredibly complex media environment that we live in now, particularly online, um, people do want trusted news. And, and survey after survey says that actually the public want news that is impartial and neutral, uh, even though at the same time they may enjoy highly opinionated views from columnists and so on as well. You wouldn't always think that, particularly if you look at social media where you know, they get criticised the whole time, but actually more general public opinion polls suggest people do want you know, information they can trust and information that is you know, not particularly advocating a political position. Okay, great. Thank you very much. I'd like to talk to you about BBC debates, which can often be made longer under the obligation of impartiality uh, and, uh, and often opinion can get lost in debate. Does this ever prevent important debates being had by the BBC? Um, not that I'm aware of. I'm not entirely clear what you're getting at there, Reese. But, but I mean, if it's simply to say that actually they have to reflect more shades of opinion and that therefore may extend the debate, I actually think that's a good thing because by and large, 
you know, the richest voices are the loudest ones. And therefore the big newspapers backed by, you know, billionaires and all the rest of it tend to have, uh, uh, get more attention than, you know, other points of view that, that don't have those kinds of platforms. So for a public broadcaster to say it is a place that can reflect a range of views is I think a very uh, healthy thing. Of course, if it's done badly, then, um, you know, it may become a bit dysfunctional and views may get ignored or the point or, you know, all the rest of it, there may be false equivalents and, you know, all of these pitfalls are there. But if it's managed well, then I think it's a very positive thing. I think sometimes my point was, and if it wasn't clear, is that you sometimes you can put the right side up, the left side up, and you can go up and down on this sort of seesaw of debate. And then at the end, you have lots of opinion, but actually very little, uh, little to do with it. Uh, and sometimes that could be a criticism that some might use of the BBC debate. Is that, does that have any place? Uh, uh, one, of the th one of the problems that journalism, I think, is struggling with at the minute is it is awash with opinion. And, and for many people, this is particularly true online, but it's absolutely true in panel discussions and so on as well. People think journalism is about opinion. They think that's what it is. And, and it isn't. <laughs> for me, journalism should be about establishing facts, establishing evidence, finding out what has actually happened and having a solid foundation of, of evidence and facts on which people then can then take a view. You know, journalism isn't just about trading points of view, but, but when it's done badly or cheaply, that can be what it becomes. So, I mean, I, I think it's the false balance and false equivalence point, really. Uh, uh, you know, on the one hand, on the other, isn't great journalism. But if you have something that, that allows people to understand what has actually happened, what the weight, where the weight of evidence lies, and therefore, you know, produce an opinion or produce their personal view or make their choices based on, on solid foundation of evidence. And that's a good thing. But that takes time and resource and research, which, you know, all, all media are suffering from at the minute because they are suffering economically and they're having, you know, post cut and people are, you know, those who are still working, they have to do more and all the rest of it. So in-depth research and all the rest of it is getting undermined a little bit. But when it's done well, you know, it's establishing a strong foundation of evidence and facts on which views can rest. May I ask you a question about something that you mentioned in the talk? You said that some high, high profile journalists at the BBC should post under an account for the BBC, which has more followers. Um, some people might say that if a high profile journalist is encouraged not to tweet under their name, but rather a more anonymous BBC account, then their specific abilities may not be recognised. And shouldn't a journalist's name count for something? Like, shouldn't the BBC be proud of their talent pool and not reduce or hide them beneath a branded account? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and of course, you know, a lot of BBC journalists have big followings on social platforms and the rest of it, and that's, that's very good. The particular point I was making was really about breaking news, where a lot of journalists will break news on their personal account, which even if they've got a really big following of like a million followers, all they're communicating with is the subset of people on Twitter or Instagram, wherever it may be. And actually, overwhelmingly, the public is not on Twitter. Uh, so that's the first point. So maybe they'd be better off taking the time to go onto Five Live or go onto some other platform, which is going to reach more people than happen to be logged onto Twitter at that moment. But even if they are just thinking about social media, the BBC's branded breaking news account has 40 million followers. So I think the, the danger is that some in the breaking news context, some BBC journalists think, oh, I'll just put it on my account because that's faster and don't recognise the fact that their, their responsibility is to tell as many people as possible, which includes the many, many millions who don't follow them. 
and therefore you know they ought to take a little bit more trouble to make sure it, it gets the the widest possible distribution so that's a kind of very specific point around breaking news really beyond that of course it's a good thing that, that and the public expect people to have online profiles and and so on and and you know depending on how they use them that's that's a good thing but i think really it's it's about making sure that journalists recognize that their particular following on twitter is not the people they're employed to serve they're employed to serve the public as a whole which is vastly bigger and and overwhelmingly not online on those particular social platforms or or in, amongst their particular followers just finally then, just moving on from the discussion about impartiality, you're obviously someone with a lot of experience in the world of journalism, particularly with the BBC with 30 years. What would you say is the best bit of advice you could give to, to us, uh, particularly as broadcast journalism students? Okay, I, I, I think there's a, a couple of things I'd say. I, I always think the heart of journalism is being relentlessly curious. So just wherever you end up whatever kind of journalism you're involved in just continually ask questions what what's actually happened why is it like that how did that actually happen just be relentlessly curious the whole time about everything and keep asking questions that's the heart of good journalism the other thing in this day and age is to be as open and flexible as you can uh, i remember and the BBC in previous age, I moved jobs within an, one organisation, but I moved jobs quite a lot, and, and quite a lot of my colleagues didn't. There were people when I left after 30 years who were still doing the same job as when I joined. Uh, that, that, if that, were, that was ever a good idea, and I don't think it was, it's definitely not at the minute. So I would say, build your personal equity, your personal experience, move jobs, gain experience, build experience laterally, uh, and, and keep moving and keep being inquisitive and keep acquiring new skills. And in the end, that personal equity, as I put it, will, will, will give you a good career. It's not just about finding a place you like and sticking in there. It's about doing as many different things as you can in as many different ways in as many different places and building your personal experience, which you will then be able to trade on as your career goes forward. Richard, thank you so much. It's been really good to talk to you. Real pleasure to talk to you. Good luck.